We all know that regional property prices have been on the rise since COVID. Many people have embraced working remotely and exited our cities for a better lifestyle. But is a sea or tree change all it's cracked up to be? Will this trend last? Are the property prices sustainable? When I look at how this local area is changing, in 10 years' time, is the local high school going to be big enough? Because there's only one. And that must be happening all over regional Australia. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as down Download our free full or forecast report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Today we're talking with someone who can speak from experience, not only about her own sea change, but from the intel she's been gathering from her interviews with other changes. Over the best part of two decades, journalist Kirsten Craze has been living and breathing bricks and mortar, having profiled over a billion dollars worth of prime and plenty of not-so-prime real estate internationally. Now, her work has featured in titles across news corps such as Daily Telegraph, The Herald, Sun, News.com.au, Realestate.com.au and Mansion Global. She's passionate about about finding the story behind every property she covers and the markets that move around them. Her hunger for a great real estate yarn has taken her behind the gates of many multi-million dollar estates and through plenty of dilapidated dumps. And two years ago, in what must have been a pre-pandemic premonition, Kirsten made a sea change back to her hometown on the New South Wales mid-north coast. And as a result, she's been tracking the change of phenomenon for years, writing several pieces on the topic for various publications. So thanks so much for joining us today, Kirsten. The last time we spoke to you was way back in episode 22, well before your own exodus from the city. And we're keen to find out from you what it takes to make a successful sea or tree change. Ah, well, thank you for having me. Yes, that does seem like a bit of a lifetime ago. (laughs) Three years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a lot's changed for everyone (laughs) in that time. I mean, three years ago, completely different, you know, plan, I guess. And then you changed your plan and made the sort of tree change or sea change back to your hometown, which is probably a little bit different to say someone going to a whole new city they've never lived or any family connection. But interesting to see your sort of story of what were some of your fears you had prior to making that big change, if they were sort of founded or whether you sort of proved that they weren't even, shouldn't have been worrying about them. And just some of the things that maybe you're missing about the city and you know, why people are, say, returning? Yeah, well, I think not just myself, but anyone I'd spoken to over the years pre-COVID about um, moving to the country, a lot of people seem to have the same fears. What's going to happen to Mm. my career? What's going to happen to my friendship circle? Do I sell out of the city? Because there's this theory that if you sell out of the city, you could never get back in financially. Um, And obviously, we can address that in a bit. But everyone, I, there was one theme that when I would interview people over the years that whenever they'd left the city was the same thing, that they wish they'd done it sooner. And Mm. I think I fell into that same camp. Wow. Okay. Now let's, can we unpack that a bit? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to the I wish they'd done it sooner at, a little bit further on because I've got a little bit of a hypothesis on this. I wonder if there's a point at which they click over and get that realisation and if they might bail early, they never get to that point. But that's sort of my hypothesis and I don't want yeah. you to answer that right now. Okay. So you talk about the fears, career, friends and selling out the city and never been able to get mm. back again. Now, for you personally, I mean, you're a writer, so career, I reckon, you know, I guess you're the poster child for what COVID has offered other people now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, it it was all sort of what what happens. What happens if you want to go and get another job, and if you're out of the yeah. city, you can't sort of you don't have. There might be jobs, but then you know there's not the plethora of opportunities in an actual office. And I was mm. thinking with a pre-COVID brain, obviously, like if it all goes pear shaped, I can't just walk into some com- communications company because they just don't exist up here. Obviously, we've all changed out 
train of thought around that for now. Although there is one thing for career that's important and that is connectivity uh, yes. as in internet. Yes. <laughs> Has that been emotional. okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Um, in the region where I'm around Coffs Harbour, there actually was one of the first regional areas to get the NBN. So they actually probably had better connection than some Sydney suburbs <laughs> quite early on. So that <laughs> wasn't a problem. I'm not up a mountaintop or like some people um, can find patchy connections. Yeah. But it's the other type of connection also, the human connection for the office that we might want to get into mm. in a bit, yeah, that I think um, is something that people have to weigh up before they walk out the door in the, of the city. Have you felt any uh, looking for, say, new work? I don't know if you've had to, but if you did, any sort of location discrimination? Like let's say your person you're getting work from is city-based yes. where they where you're competing with someone else who's city-based and then they say we're going to give it to them because they're city-based or if it's not you any sort of people locally that may have left the city and maybe they're not getting the the, the job or the contract because they're in say Coffs Harbour or rather than um, you know, the city. Yeah. You know what? That's exactly what I thought was going to happen. And that was one of my fears. I was thinking, let's not tell anyone, let's not put it on any of yep. my bios, let's not put it on social media. <laughs> I didn't want to take a photo of my local area because I thought I want to be, I want to still be known as that city girl, you know? Yep. And it's just, I think COVID's probably blown a few of those preconceptions out of the water. But yeah, that was a, a worry. But I never, has anyone ever even, I've got strangers coming to me via LinkedIn or what have you, um, and they don't even ask me where I am. We can have three or four phone conversations or Zoom calls, and then they say, oh, you're not in Sydney. Oh, and then that's the end of the conversation. And you think, what was all the worry about? But that's something that comes with my line of work. It's not with everyone. But I know other people. I, I know someone up here who works in television, and they, as a husband and wife team, work on international productions. And they do it from a little office above a fish and chip shop. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. With a lot of egg cartons all around or something. But, uh, <laughs> on the walls. So I, you talk about the the, um, the physical connection or the human connection, you know, yes. in the office and all that sort of thing. And, I mean, that's something that even city dwellers who are working from home are struggling with even. Yeah. So it's not necessarily something you only experience now when you move to a regional area. But I guess... Has that resolved itself? I mean, it has to. I mean, fact is it has to. But, I mean, has that resolved itself in a way that you expected it to or is it still an issue? For me personally? Mm. Yeah, well, I think um, maybe it's a bit different. I think it depends on what stage you are in your career. I was already working from my kitchen table before COVID. So I was sort of in that mindset already well before moving. But I think it depends on the stage of life you are in your personal life, the stage of your career and the type of career perhaps and the type of personality you are. And I think a year on from people working from home and Australia has been in a good position that we, um, a lot of people, city dwellers have been able to get back into the office in some way, shape or form, that people thought it was a great idea to sit at home in their pyjamas and work, but <laughs> it's wearing thin now for a lot of people, especially perhaps those people on the upward trajectory of their career. Yeah. A lot of people I think didn't realise how much career progression is made by the water cooler talk or, you know, going to the pub on a Friday afternoon and, and it's hard to impress a boss if you're 600 kilometres away. Mm, the visibility is an issue, isn't it? Yeah. Have you seen a lot of co-working local options for you? There's not a lot where I am. I'm surprised there's not more. Mm. I think maybe now I th a lot of those things did close during COVID and I think now they might be starting to branch out a bit more. I think I'm just wondering whether regionally it's not as big an issue because people do have larger homes and so they're more likely to be able to have the space at home for a third bedroom that's an office or a fourth bedroom or the den or, or what have you. Now what about friends? Because <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that and, you know, and I know that then you, you know, I'm putting you in a situation where you have That's to talk okay. about your own friends. But I also know that, you know, just from first for life experience, that when circumstances change and certainly moving from, from one area to another is a circumstance, I've even had it in Sydney where mm. I've moved suburbs and, you know, you've got some friends that stay with you and some friends that don't when you're actually changing suburbs, let alone regions, yeah. what's the reality versus the anticipation or the fear? 
I guess it's, again, it comes down to your personality. Some people think, oh, it'll be easy. I'll just make friends. Uh, other people, you know, it might be harder, but it's true. You, I think a lot, a lot of people, a lot of Australians make friends out of their office colleagues. And so if you're moving to a new job, you find friends in that office space. If you're moving to a new area, you have to, and you're working from home, you have to really make an effort. And it's hard to make friends as an adult. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so people do rely on things like joining local clubs, trying to make themselves part of the community. They do re- lean a lot on their children, I think, and making friends at the school gate. One interesting thing I find if you sort of from inner Sydney, mothers are older. I was a 40-year-old mum, <laughs> uh, new mum, and I have to say that some of the parents are close to half my age. <laughs> so, <laughs> And it's a, it's a reality of city versus country mm. life. It's just mm. the way it is, you know. I probably, and I'm not even making a joke, might have some more things in common with the grandparents than the parents. It's just a reality. <laughs> well, I'm an, I'm an older mother as well. I'm just imagining myself in that situation, you know, being at the school gate, dropping dropping my daughter off along with other ki- other parents that could actually be my daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's it's a reality. So I think those are the sorts of things that um, maybe don't, you don't, I mean, we're getting away from um, property prices and property talk, but, yeah, it is a social aspect that I think doesn't come into the equation when people are concentrating on on facts and figures when they're it's- making their C and tree change. But it's exactly because it's all relevant. I mean, the the thing is, and and getting back to my hypothesis, certainly when I was filming the show, we dealt well. We looked in a lot of these sea and tree change areas, and I always talked to the agents and and wonder how long people stayed. You know, they've yes. got sort of starry eyed, bushy tailed, this idea, this this utopia of of having a sea or tree change. They go there, and do they stay? Are they happy? Does life add up? Does it does it live up to the expectation? And a lot of them would say to me, "Oh, about." half of them turn around and go back in a year yeah and so so a bit into you know leading into my hypothesis that if someone says I wish you'd done it sooner I'm suspecting they wouldn't say that in the first year yeah look I have come across cases of people who did have that regret and some of them do go back immediately I guess it depends how whether you've rented or whether you've bought whether you've sold up it it depends on on how you've how you've started that change but I have come across people who have said you know that that they would have given up they would have left and then friends or family or support network has said why don't you just give it one more year or, or why don't you just try until this point and then they do get past that point of homesickness or, or whatever you want to call it, and then they 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 pass that level of regret because it is a bit scary in the beginning, and there's a lot of why did I do this? Like with any big life change, because of course if it's successful, you know that third issue that you had, you talked about career, you talked about friends, and you talked about well, what happens if I sell out of the the city, and you know I can't get back into the city if it doesn't work, and if it's successful, that doesn't matter, you know, like yes. you you've embedded yourself in a new area and and life is good, but I imagine that there's a lot of misconceptions leading into a move like this and and I guess it's the where the dissatisfaction would lie in terms of the gap between the misconception and reality. Yeah. So what, I mean, and I'm, and I'm not just talking about your experience, but certainly I know that you've been interviewing a lot of people. Where do you think their biggest gaps are? Look, I think that some of the gaps are probably around maybe the e- ease of reversing the decision. I think probably it's a lot harder than people think for many reasons for the the property price reason that we've alluded to, but also the emotional toll it takes, the fear of failure. And then if you throw children into the mix, you've had to enroll them into schools. They've had to say goodbye to friends, find new friends, and then maybe do it all over again in a year or two. So that, and then that puts a strain on the family. And I've also interviewed people who've had marriage breakdowns who maybe they're not solely blaming the tree or sea change but they're saying it really didn't help and maybe sometimes that's a reason why people do leave the city because they think we need a bit of a kick up the um, relationship rear end and it, <laughs> and it's you know it's not going to fix the problems that are underlying and I did interview a, a lawyer who um, has a practice in Vic, regional Victoria and she said she just has seen not just through COVID, but in the last 10 years or so, a real uptick in couples having strain and a lot of it is around making a decision to move to an area and it just hasn't worked out. And then how do you 
how do you break that relationship? How do you then, if one party wants to leave, the other one wants to stay, you've got um, shared assets and it can all become very messy. Well, especially you've got kids potentially in two very different locations and that's a, that's a, it's a whole recipe for you know, conflict and yeah, well, it's drama. hard to do one weekend on one weekend Ooh, off if yeah. you're 300 kilometers away. Yeah, mm, and and if, the, and if the parents aren't co-parenting harmoniously, shall we say? We're starting to see this already in the city where people are getting priced out, and they thought what was possible, and they're working towards it, saving hard, working on their incomes, and then you know, last year. It was all going to happen and then the market ran on them. Yeah. And it ran to a point where it's just no longer possible to be anywhere near the areas they want to be. This could happen, say, on the beaches. It could happen, sure. you know, down the Shire. Mm. It could be the north of Sydney. There's lots of pockets where prices have moved quite considerably and the time for them to try to catch up to get into those prices, the markets could even run further on them. And so they're coming to us and they're saying, well, we just don't know where to go. Mm. And it's a really tough situation where they're going, well, we're going to move locations. Ultimately, we don't want to, but we're going to do it to buy a house. And I feel like a lot of people moving to the regions do do that. You know, they, they'll go to Central Coast or north of Wollongong or et cetera because they, their first option isn't a preference. When they, so they haven't really tested it. You know, they haven't. Yes. Their heart's not in it, but they're just hoping that they go there and love it. And I think that's probably drives a lot of people coming back because they never really wanted to do it in the first place. Have you sort of met that type of personality where – they just went for affordability and even though they got what they wanted, something affordable ultimately is not what they really wanted. I think that uh, the test driving aspect is really important and I think that might be what some people don't do or well, they don't do it properly. I mean you think you test drive a car, you test drive uh, – you can test drive a mattress and in 90 days send it back, you know. Um, <laughs> you can send anything back. But um, if, you know, I think what I've found is a lot of people will have spent maybe a decade every summer going to the same caravan park in a small town on the beach or or they they know of a location because they've spent many years or they remember fo- they have fond memories of spending summers in the 1980s as a child um, and then they think, <laughs> I want that place. But that place could have changed. That place during winter could be very different. Um, the people who live there um, and go to the schools and work in the offices, they might not be the same types of people that you met on the beach who were all happy on holiday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you need to sort of, it's it's even hard to test drive something just on the weekend going to have a coffee in a small town. It's, it's, it's hard because it's not reality. And what I think, and Veronica, I think you've said this many times, is it's, it's always a good idea to rent somewhere for a bit. And, and yeah. try, try it out if you can. Obviously, if you've got to put kids in school, that makes it a bit more difficult. But the problem is at the moment you can't rent in regional Australia. That's you can't exactly. test drive. So it's it's a bit of an issue at the, at the moment. And the cost of renting might be a year out of the market. And when, you know, last year was obviously a big rise and, mm. and I'd probably say there's still more rises to go for a lot of these regional places because there's still people moving there. And as the cities get more expensive, yeah. you know, because the cities are now sort of really driving the growth. The desire to move to these sort of semi-rural locations or outskirts of cities is, is going to continue to be there because there's still going to be an affordability option for people. Mm. So, if, you know, yes, you could say, yeah, go rent up there and see how it feels. But, you know, when I made a change to the Northern Beach, if I went and rented up where we are, that would have been a 20 to 30% cost yeah. by taking that risk. Um, okay. That's just... In retrospect, you know that. You know, there were many, many, many years where the prices up there were flat as a tack. So, you know what I mean? And and so at at a different point of time, you could have gone up there and rented and it would have had no material impact whatsoever. Yeah, hence, but the current market is kind of, is hard to rent. Exactly. But it also, I know, and this is the problem though, is that people, it's the recency bias. We're all running around in panicking. I mean, I have to hose our clients down all the time. It's like... You know, the amount of frenzy out there is just nuts and it's like you still don't want to buy a really terrible asset in a place you don't want to live or, you know what I mean, you don't want to rush and buy something and then, and you know, what's that, um, fools rush in and repent. No, I think I'm missing, <laughs> I'm mixing my metaphors here. I'm mixing my sayings. But, you know, was it uh, act in haste and repent at leisure? And that is, there's nothing truer about the property manager, that, sorry, the property market than that in that, that, you know, you might luck it and you might go, oh, wow, thank God I did that. 
Or you yeah. might go, Jesus, if I had a moment, you know, if I just took it one step back, I just would have thought differently about that. And that's the problem is that the only time they get a breather to actually reflect on their decision is after they've made it. And it's such a monumentally costly decision if you get it wrong. It's hard. I, I don't have an answer for this. It's just, no, it's just and, yeah. and I think at the moment it's, it's hard to know what the future holds for mm. regional areas because it's going through uh, an experience that we just haven't seen before. Yeah, you know, um, you you never had to act quick in a regional market. No. <laughs> there was never FOMO, you know. <laughs> no, so, and that it might come back to that. It's it's very hard to imagine that we're going to be having these huge prices in regional property, uh, zero vacancy, and um, just you know houses selling within days. It's very hard to believe that will be sustained. But then again, you know, we probably all thought that a million dollars for a house was crazy thirty years ago. <laughs> and True, but I mean it. I think it's true that it won't be sustained, you know, because the thing is yeah. that these markets do ebb and flow and, and there will be a time when it's no, it's no longer like that and we'll, and everyone will sit on their hands and they won't remember what the booming times and they won't think the process can ever get any better, you know what I mean? And, and like now they never think they can fall. So it, it is a problem um, that we all sort of act in, in, in the context of what's happening right now. Um, and I think that's a real risk for, for a regional area of buying in regional areas. But I also am interested in, in from your experience and the people that you've been interviewing and your own experience, um, what change, how are regional towns changing as a result of, you know, this exodus from cities? Ah, interesting. I did um, have a chat with the um, demographer Simon Kirstenmacher um, recently, and he talked about um, regional resentment. Um, I think that's what he called it. And it was mm. this sort of idea that the locals, you know, the ones that have been yeah. here maybe since birth or for decades, um, there will inevitably be some kind of um, resentment that builds up around people that have come in. And they're effectively the ones pushing the property prices up, that yeah. the ones filling up the homes and other people, you know, don't have access to. Have you seen that on your sort of local area though? Have I ha you seen, haven't that re really seen it. Um, it. It may well be happening. Um, maybe I don't see it because maybe they think I'm one of those people. I feel like getting a T-shirt saying I was here before COVID or <laughs> I went to primary school here. Yeah. <laughs> I just went away for a while. Um, yeah, so I think that that will be something. I think some of the things cult culturally, I think I've noticed a few more um, cultural things starting to change the art galleries, film festivals. So this isn't just COVID, but it's sort of like a, a maturity that maybe wasn't here when I left in the 90s. Mm. That, that yep. could have happened anyway, but I just I feel like a lot of people, and when you look behind it, they are people who often did grow up and then they come back, but they've had a, mm. a city or an international experience and they've brought back um, some of what they've learned and opened film festivals and started, um, uh, you know, new art galleries or classes and, and things that just didn't exist before. That, yeah. <laughs> Hobart's a classic of that. Mona, you know, it, it's yeah. like that, that, on, that example on steroids where, you know, the prodigal son came back really and then and has helped, I guess, launch a city onto a, onto a global stage in, in a way. Yeah. You also see it in the cafes. The, the city prices are here, so you do wonder <laughs> who pays $22 for a toasted sandwich because I don't know too many locals that would be keen to do that for too long. So, so mm. is that really just in a certain pocket, though, of Coffs Harbour? Because my view is that like, you know, people are going to escape the city. They go for lifestyle reasons at an affordable price. Yes. yes, there's the people returning home, but even the people returning home want to live in the best area of that city because – that's where they've always gone on weekends and, you know, a lot of their friends yeah. potentially living. So, you know, up from, from Newcastle, you know, I've got lots of clients going back to Newcastle and, you know, they all want to live around Merriweather or pretty close to Merriweather Beach, as close as they can get really. Well, apparently, Bar, um, is it Bar Beach in Newcastle yep. that's going to be a, a $3 million suburb before too long, according to realestate.com.au? <laughs> well, it would be that, the hill, just along those sort of beaches yeah. there, you know, there's a certain pocket where everyone wants to be. And so, you know, all the locals, all the people who aren't from Newcastle want to buy around there because... Mm. And because they, they can buy a lot more than they could in, say, Sydney for the same money, and they're taking Sydney incomes. And then you've got the people who are 
say, from that city or, say, Coffs Harbour and moving back there and they want to live in a certain pocket of Coffs Harbour. So so really there's, the city's not all going up. And so no. all where the demand goes is to the real sort of top end of the market. And are you seeing that where you're getting the expensive uh, cafes and everything's just in a small confined space? There are pockets and it's very interesting when you look at how some pockets are performing. And I did some sort of did some numbers yesterday just looking at there are parts of the beach area around Sortel where you're getting houses listed at $1.5 to $2 million. If you're to go maybe about three kilometres west over a train yeah. line, <laughs> you can get a very comfortable house for under 500000 very comfortable on a bigger block than you would yep. at the beach and it's only a couple of minutes' drive to the sand and you'll always get a car space. It's not like you're moving, you know, to the western suburbs of Sydney and you've got to drive 45 minutes to get to the beach and when you get there you can't park anywhere, you know. it's it's You're effectively living the same lifestyle. You just can't maybe smell the ocean or feel it. <laughs> but what a huge price yeah. difference, you know, in just a couple of kilometres. And, and that is, like you said, it's the effect of that real, if I'm going to leave the city, I've got to have the best option mm. of where I'm going. So we're seeing that exact same thing. Like, so clients are going, well, if I move to the central coast, but I'm only going to live in uh, Avoca or, you know, Etalon or Bado Bay or, you know, literally these handful of suburbs. Yes. And if I can't get that, then I don't want to move there. And so I feel like there's this whole lot of talk around sort of regional investing. And so, because there's this migration, but that means that you know, you're saying that people aren't being selective on what they're buying and where they're buying. And a lot of people just say buying, you know, investment properties in regional towns without understanding that ultimately the market's splitting in two. You know, you've got these certain postcodes and certain parts of those postcodes that are highly attractive to people on with a lot of money and higher incomes. And then you've got the rest is what the locals can afford and, and want. Are you seeing that and through your conversations, a similar thing? Yeah, but I think perhaps those properties and those suburbs that are on, oh, for want of a better expression, the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> yeah. they're the better investment opportunities. You know, why, why spend $2 million on a property? I mean, if we're talking about investment, if you want to spend that much to live in, then that's your choice. But if for something, if it goes pear-shaped or you need to go back to the city for a reason and you're going to rent that place out, I think it's very hard to get the kind of rent that you would want or need in a $2 million property than if you'd bought further away, those are proving to be quite good investments. I, I think you'd find that the longer term history of growth on those two properties would be dramatically different. Mm. And there were, always would have been a gap, you know, the 500 to a 1.5 would have been a gap, but that gap wouldn't have been a million dollars, let's say it is now, would have been 500. Yeah. And so, you know, even back 10 years ago, you would have said, okay, well, it's still 300 versus 800. Well, it sounds like a better investment, but over the last decade, you would have found the growth over the, the aspirational suburb would have been a lot better. Yes. And even when you come back, I think in 10 years' time, you'll be like, well, ultimately there's a fine night of wealth in Coffs Harbour and everyone who does well in Coffs Harbour will want to live in Sortel on the right type of the tracks, not on the other side of the tracks. So you get this flow of wealth into the premium part of the market but also the flow of wealth from outside the city. People have got a lot of status and they don't want to drive to the beach. And so yeah. people who have got money will still want to live in those suburbs. And so you'll still find because of the scarcity of that location, the growth over the longer term will still be better than say something that's got more supply and isn't as aspirational and you can build and there's lots of other stuff. Yeah. So I guess it just depends what your price point is and how long you want to hold on to it. Yeah, the risk is that you're right if you move back, but... Ultimately, if people are moving back, then a lot of people need that money to go back to their next decision. And so mm. it's not really got the ability to keep a house in, say, Coffs Harbour as an investment property. They have to sell up, take that money and then buy somewhere else. So I guess it's just a dangerous sort of buying at the more affordable part of a regional city because you'll find that that's where a lot of the locals want, which is local incomes, and you've got not as many sort of higher incomes sort of going there. 
that make sense? Yeah, the pushing up prices thing. But we were talking with um, Michael Murray from Byron Bay a couple of episodes back, and it's the same thing. It's the 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 interlopers, the newbies are all coming with more money. They're buying the more expensive properties, and that becomes sort of a completely different flavour. You know that that there's the different. You don't have the old locals living there anymore. You know, what I mean, it's just like a satellite suburb of Sydney or Melbourne. Yes. I guess that's the danger, isn't it, when you've got that sort of thing happening. But when you're talking about regional areas, you know, you're supposedly going there because you want lifestyle, right? Now, beach is obvious, yes. right? It's like, well, I can afford to be close to the beach where in Sydney or Perth. Really, the cities in Australia with, with beaches, aren't they, when you think about it? Yeah. So, you know, try living by the beach in Sydney. It's it's ridiculously expensive. And so then you've got all this opportunity up and down the coast. So that's fine. But what else, you know, like, I mean, if, if if that doesn't keep you occupied all the time and if you're not a mad surfer, what else are people chasing? Are they chasing the quiet life? Are they chasing, you know, the idea of slowing down? Is that why people want to leave the city or is it purely just this idea about, well, I can have a better life, you know, because I can afford it? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything, isn't it? People seem to be, uh, especially since COVID, they're chasing space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a slower pace of life. But for a lot of people uh, I've come across, the slower pace of life has worked wonders for everyone in the family. But there can also be people that just had not anticipated what slow means. Um, and, <laughs> and In what sl- way? <laughs> well, some towns are very sleepy, you know. Mm. they uh, the, That was the attraction for some people when they got there, but then they realised that it's just too sleepy for them. So, uh, again, it comes back to <laughs> doing homework. Lights go out at 7 o'clock. <laughs> well, yeah, or, you know, shops are closed at 12 o'clock on a Saturday. Um, uh, we, we're, we're looking for a new fridge at the moment and went, to a shop, an electrical shop, and it was closed on Sunday. And um, I thought, oh my God. I know. <laughs> and then when the, the following week we, we went in and one of the salespeople said, yes, well, our boss just decided that we're a family business. We're going to close on Sundays. And I thought, you know what? Good for them. <laughs> yeah. But it, it is just, you just expect everything to be open all the time. And you know what? It's good that it's not. Well, in my opinion. And that if that's what you're chasing. Well, yeah, if prices are going up and it's costing a lot of money to live there, you know, you're paying a $22 toasted sandwich and all the rest of it, you're not really getting a financial break. You know, you're still going to have to work hard. Well, yes, and I think that was one of the things when I was writing a pros and cons list to maybe discuss with you is that if affordability is the driver and that's been on the top of the agenda for a lot of changes for a long time, that affordability is shrinking. Mm. There might be an adjustment coming, but at the moment you're not getting the bang for buck that was always the big driver to leave town. And increasingly you're not even getting a bang for buck in the other lifestyle factors, you know. The daycare that my child is in is exactly the same price as it was in Sydney per day. So, you know, there's not, it's it's not all, you, you can't put all your eggs in the affordability basket anymore if that's why you're leaving the city. And are you finding that people are moving there that aren't from a location that they also then find other people that have done the same thing in that location? And, you know, because they haven't got big networks, they also then gravitate towards each other and then build friendships and build communities and little. So you've almost got like a subset of a community getting built just because of people are moving there. You know, you get this in international cities, for example, when you went to London, a lot of people who aren't from London then all of a sudden (laughs) become families you know, friends basically. Have you sort of yeah. heard sort of those things, which are sometimes harder to, to build those networks in cities because people have got their, you know, strong local links and you're not sure, are you from here or you're not here or did you move here? <laughs> are you finding that that sort of is more obvious in regional towns that people aren't from there? And I, I hadn't come across it too much necessarily speaking with people must happen though my partner is French and I lived in France for a long time as well and I don't know how it's happened but we've ended up meeting just about every French speaking person in (laughs) in the region and that's (laughs) been a great little group to be part of because essentially they're they're all outsiders. Some of them have mm. been here for 30 years, but yeah. So I think you do, you sort of find your, whether you like what, what little hobby you like doing. I mean, and that's sort of how you, you will meet people, especially if you're working from essentially your kitchen table or what have you. Yeah. 
If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. Kirsten, you said you were listing out a, you know, a, a list of pros and cons in yeah. prep for this, this <laughs> um, catch-up. So run through the pro. I mean, look, the pros are sort of a bit obvious, aren't they? But run through the pros. I was going to say that to you. My pros <laughs> list is actually shorter than my cons. And I have well, to say good. I'm an advocate for, for a change if it's right for you. But I was really surprised when I put my list together that the pros are shorter than the cons. But the cons are not. I don't do it list. There are, this is what you need to be aware of list, you know, so not so much cons, but a beware. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Totally. So yeah. Would you like me to start with the pros? Please do. <laughs> okay. So I think we touched on this is that one of the big things is the historically cheaper entry points, right? Yep. That's what people are chasing affordability and space, especially in the last 12 months or so people have realized how much they appreciate gardens or outdoor spaces they might not have in the city. Then another thing people are chasing is is the lifestyle, you know, whether it's the beach, the bush, living on the river. I've spoken to some agents in river towns uh, along the Murray and they are booming because people find that that's an option. They like to live on the riverfront. So it's not all sea or tree. (laughs) There's a bit of river in there too. And then there's sort of a subset of people that think, you know what, I really want to be sustainable. I want to go off grid. I want to live in the bush. And although I know someone who did that in Redfern, I think he's in Redfern, he's living completely sustainably, it's not that easy in the city. So No. (laughs) And then obviously weather. People are chasing perhaps more agreeable weather, a slower pace of life, which is great. I touched on that depending on how slow you'd like it. One thing I found too is that some people like the aspect of maybe being a big fish in a little pond rather than a little fish in a big pond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you get the analogy, I think sometimes, yep. especially if you're entrepreneurial, I suppose, if you want to start your own business, sometimes it can be hard to kind of make way in, in, a, in a crowded city. But if you have a great idea and you move to a smaller area, it might work really well if you're the only one doing it. And uh, I'd put a fun one at the end. This is the one thing that I didn't really occur to me is always being able to find a park and a free one. <laughs> I, I was arriving to almost every appointment really early because I had that Sydney <laughs> brain of take, oh, I've got to, I've got to get there. How yep. long will it take me to get there? Then I've got to go around the block three times to find a park. Then I've got to find the coins or the machines not working. And <laughs> now I can park out the front of every appointment and or where I've got to go. And I'm right there. <laughs> And early. Oh, luxury. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sold. Maybe that's not the top reason, but it's a really nice um, one I'd, I'd discovered. And what about schooling? Obviously, you've got kids. Are they at school age? or? Uh... My, I have one son, but he will be going to school next year. But that that's another interesting thing is yeah. the local school here, they told me they're already full. Mm. They have to take children that are in their area. And it's a real issue when I look at how this local area is changing in 10 years' time, is the local high school going to be big enough? Because there's only one. And that must be happening all over regional Australia. And I think schooling is something that really needs to be thought of. And maybe primary schools, not necessarily something that people are too worried about. They have confidence in the public schools. But high schools just becomes another issue for a lot of people, depending on the type of child you have. And that can be even a big issue in the cities as well, you know. Um, you know the, it is. Uh, for, you know, where they're forcing you to go on the private option, which is also fraught with danger, not only just by cost, there's, a, you know, et cetera. So people still more <laughs> want, want to send their kids to public school, but there's no great public schools or the public schools aren't what they really would want for their child. So going regionally, sometimes it's uh, you're not escaping a problem that was already a problem in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Although less options, you know, in the Mm. city is sort of, yes, it still might be difficult to get into wherever you choose to send your child, but you do have more options at your disposal. Yeah, you might have a couple of high schools to choose from, but in some areas there's just the one. So that's something I think that maybe people who've got very small children or maybe they haven't 
started having children yet. They maybe don't think 12 years in uh, in the future and maybe you shouldn't dwell on that but it's just something to, to think about. Yeah, well, I have friends that moved to Byron back in 2009 and their son at the time was four and, yeah, I remember speaking to my friend Oh, probably about six years later saying, oh, my God, I hadn't actually really thought about high school. Oh, now we're right. sort of thinking, well, what do we do? Do we put him in, you know, can we get him in private school? Do we put him in the public school? What sort of kid is he going to be? Like what are his friends like? You know, because the, the cohort's really important. It doesn't matter where you are, the cohort's important. Do I send him to boarding school? Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, bugger, you know, do we, does it go to Brisbane? Does it go to, you know, there's all of that going down and it was like I hadn't even thought of that I just was thinking about catching more waves (laughs) yeah and I know I know a lot of people who are thinking the long game and they are putting their children through a religious education from kindergarten even if their family is not religious at all but it's because the religious high school is a better option than the public one and it's the pathway to get through because if you jump ship from public to religious it's you might not get in because you haven't followed that trajectory the whole way through yeah well I do that in Sydney too but it's it's like because it's the affordable private Mm. school route you know it's like oh I'm going to get my kid christened so that they can get cheaper education (laughs) it's just like (laughs) I don't know I'm too much of a agnostic for that (laughs) (laughs) but it's such a big topic schooling like it's Literally yes. every day, you know, a lot of our clients will pretty much all like sort of young couples and families and whether they're having kids or not, but it's, it, schooling does come up and it's such a big driver for people. And so if they're doing the regional shift, really thinking that through longer term makes a lot of sense. But schools change quite dramatically, quite fast. You know, different generations are changing as well. So exactly. it's so hard to say, well, kids born today or you know, what's going to be like in 13 years time or 12 years time for high school. Yeah, so. because that local pr- uh, principal's not going to be probably in that job in exactly 12 years time yeah and they could have a big funding boost and they could build you know all these sort of nicer facilities and attract better teachers and teachers that were working in the city that you know have worked at the best schools and moved back to Coffs Harbour <laughs> and so you just it's so hard to, to see 12 years down yeah. the line well the kids are recalcitrant you know my daughter doesn't exactly do you know try to give her the best opportunity in life and she does not grab them with both hands put it that way so <laughs> do you know what I mean it's that's her life that's her that's her cross to bear now but it's just you know when she's older she'll look back at, oh I had all these opportunities or didn't take yeah. them and I can't make her take them yeah you know and and she just got to hope that they they will grasp them so for all the planning mm. and on the you know that you do ultimately you've got human beings as children and they're going to they're going to do with it what they want to do with it really yeah and you don't know when they're a toddler if they're going to be academically yeah. minded or not no <laughs> You know, it's like. <laughs> Although I've been watching old people's home for four-year-olds, and there's a couple of little little kids there. Yep, they're going to be academic anyway. So let's move to the cons, cons. list. I think we've sort of touched on one there with schooling. Anything? Yes. What else is on there? Well, I think I also touched on does the affordability equation still stack up? Mm. I, I think we did cover that. I think that's again at the top of the list because affordability is what pe- at least what people say that they're chasing. And so if if it's actually Actually, not that much cheaper. It's a huge change for, uh, you know, a shrinking divide. Affordability is in two cents though, isn't it? It's affordability on housing and then there's affordability of a cost of living. Yes. You know, your fruit and veg and uh, just your ease of, you know, petrol or, you know, you're not driving as much, these sort of things. You know, do you find that, yes, you can get a cheaper house, but you should be able to get a cheaper cost of living, especially if you're not just buying $22 Avo toast in Sawtell. Um <laughs> But, you know, you can live a cheaper life ultimately. Yeah, I think, well, it, I think it depends on, on your lifestyle. Yeah, I think some things, I think like I'd mentioned the daycare, some things are just as expensive as they are in the city and, and you do wonder why. So I, I suppose it's, it's a bit hard to add up every dollar and cent that you, you spend and try and, and calculate the difference. But there are the big things, like you said, there's there's travel, but sometimes you actually are driving more because things are more spread out. Yep. <laughs> so, um, and you don't have public transport that yep. you can rely on. And sometimes regional petrol can be 
pricier than the city because there's less competition. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and then you've got to factor in if you thought that you might be tra- flying to a capital city once a month or once a fortnight uh, for work. And that's then that true, can, yeah. <laughs> that can add up. We've just lost one of the budget airlines here. I think we're getting another one. But, you know, that was a surprise. And suddenly if there's only Qantas, then there's no competition. And a train takes approximately eight to nine hours to get Whoa. to Sydney. So you can't rely on the train system to, to get you and driving, you know, five or six hours. So you, you've got to factor in if, if I'm one of those workers that needs to be in the city once a fortnight or once a month, then that's a lot of people do that. Or even just for a day for a meeting, it's a considerable cost. So those sorts of things that you need to factor in. It's all very well to say I'll go to Byron and there's an airport that will have me in Sydney within an hour. But how much is that going to cost you again and again? Absolutely. We had a client move down the south coast near an airport down there and um, he was super excited around a new air, uh, sort of, you know, new, what's it called, new route, I guess, a new airline sort of was coming in. And, you know, but that had been delayed from memory multiple times. And so, you know, you move down there thinking it's going to happen. I'm not sure if that has actually happened yet, but, you know, but it had been delayed. And so... (laughs) And, and things can change. You know, I know the Illawarra yeah. sort of airport, um, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, there's a few airlines there and then all of a sudden they go and then there's co- no competition war and, you know, it's $400 to go to the city once a week. Yes, and, and, and that happened here. There were flights to Melbourne, then they stopped. There were flights to Brisbane, then they stopped. Then they're coming back sometimes just once a week. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of that that you, you have to consider. Not all airports are equal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I sort of also touched on another one of the cons is just to really you've got to know how well do you really know the neighbourhood and from one side of a suburb to another, mm. that disparity. I talked about before in that price difference is it's all the same postcode. So if you are looking at the black and white and the facts and figures of, of median prices and, you know, say what you will about median prices, but it's at least it's a guide to help people work out what things sort of cost. They can It can be different from street to street, from, from corner of a suburb to corner of a suburb, much like it can be in Sydney. So if something looks like it's a really good bargain, there might be a reason for that, especially at the moment. So you've got to know what corners, you know, there's some areas around the whole of the mid-north coast and probably a lot of regional areas where there is uh, government housing interspersed with some private dwellings and so that can really change the resale value of your home for example that's and and this is all that sort of local intel that that you would start to gather if you were able to rent in an area and actually yes. start to experience then start to meet the locals and start to hear this stuff because of course this is local knowledge that, of course, locals don't even bother necessarily pointing out because it's just accepted they know it. Well, um, they don't think or they don't think it's an issue. Yeah, no. I spoke to one one changer who had then after a few years after having bought where they bought, realised that they'd bought on the wrong side of town because in peak hour, if, if that was really a peak hour, but it just became <laughs> longer to get home and because of limited road options, things got congested at certain times of the day so you couldn't get across mm. town. And she said, well, if I'd known the layout of the town better, I would have bought on this, the other side of town. So, yeah. Yeah. And then there's rivers that flood and then there's there's all sorts of, of that yes. local knowledge stuff that, that people who in the know won't buy on that side of there because of that and this side of there because of that. So for you, I mean, you grew up, you know, you had your childhood there, but yes. as an adult coming back, did you, did, did that help you? Or, I mean, I, I, you know, when you walk back in, do you think you just know this stuff or do you even, even you as returning, do you have to sort of think, okay, now I need to look at it a little bit more critically? Yeah. Well, I think this is where it does, it's all very well and good to say, do your homework, but, and I have always visited, I've got family who've remained here. So I've always come back to visit, but there's certain things that even visiting yearly or more than once a year that I hadn't realized until I'd come back permanently. And, Can and you share so, or are you worried you're going to offend someone? <laughs> uh, well, I'm just, I don't know. I, I think it's probably things that I've, I've already discussed, like certain certain patches of, mm. of the region that I think are probably m- more 
uh, more disadvantaged, yeah, shall we say? Yeah, yes. or different <laughs> lives that have different lifestyle or, or just, yeah, different. Even like, you know, it's been a long time since I was growing up here, so the traffic congestion, I know it mm. sounds funny saying uh, from a prior Sydney cider, but it, it actually can sometimes be worse in a way because if you know Sydney, you you just do your little detours and get around things or you know what time of day. But there can be certain times when it's just you're stuck on a road and you don't know, you think there can't be that many people living in this town. But, you know, there are people come in and out from neighbouring towns to work in, in larger areas. And I don't know, it's those all those little things that you, you just don't know or I didn't realise happened until I lived here. But I can't think of any other specific examples just now. It- Maybe they'll come to me. <laughs> The traffic ones are classic though because, it. I mean, often people say, oh, look, you know, I don't want to go and rent somewhere. I don't want to really, you know, uproot my life and go there and then, you know, I'd rather just buy and, you know, or we've gone up there every year and I've, I've gone up there in summer and I've gone up there in winter and I've gone up there in autumn and I've gone up there in spring and I've checked it out different times. But, you know, it doesn't replicate actually the the day-to-day experience of it, does it? I mean, because that's when you suddenly go, oh, it dawns on you. <laughs> yeah, at certain um, times a day, yeah. 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 Um, the friends and family thing was another thing on my cons list. Mm. I Obviously I, I came back to where there was friends and family but often people are leaving friends and family and so that does pose a problem especially if you had um, grandparents in Sydney, you know, if that's where you grew up or Melbourne or, or wherever you're moving from, suddenly you might not have that family babysitter. Support. And family mm. support. I did a story recently on uh, tree and sea change regret and one person I spoke with, she said the support network was not there. Part of why they moved is because her husband was fly-in, fly-out worker. So they thought, well, you know, they've got a little kid, so he's flying in, flying out, doesn't really matter where they live, you know, and, and she felt so isolated mm. and, and she she couldn't even even get the tires changed on her car i think she said she was saying because she she would have had to leave the car in town all day and they lived in the bush and so there's certain things that i think yeah you need to really factor in the how important the support network is obviously you can have a certain amount of support over zoom or facetime but it's not the same as having physical network nearby some people are great organisers and, and think about everything. Yeah. Some people overthink. But, you know, the really pragmatic, practical person would never put themselves in that situation. You know, they, they might be more of a dreamer perhaps and more of a visionary, you know, but it's sort of the reality of it may may have been, you know, quite starkly different. I'm interested in that article you wrote on regret. Can you send us a link and we'll put it in the show notes? Sure. Thanks. Now, what what else is on the cons list? Again, something that we we sort of touched on, I thought, is the distance from your work or your head office. It's coming back to that idea that you can really learn from colleagues. You have this tribe of people that you're around and you can maybe climb the ladder in your industry if you're able to go to industry breakfasts or um, catch up with the boss at the water cooler, those sorts of things that haven't maybe posed a problem yet. It's only sort of been a year of remote or less than a year of remote working for some people. But as the years go on, it might be all very well and good that your boss says, okay, we never expect you to be back in the office. You can work remotely. But the next boss might not be like that. Mm. Um, And if you've packed up everything and gone away because you thought that you were fine to work at home or maybe you want to change careers, you want to change industries, maybe the next industry is not going to be as flexible as the one you're in now. And then if you are in a regional area, your options might be limited if, if you decide to change. Yeah, well, I imagine that's that's a real big one for people on the beginning of their career, for sure. And which is the very time when affordability is a sort of mm. a biggest issue, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if you're leaving the city because you're a first home buyer and you, you want to get on the ladder, but, you know, you, you also want to have great earning power and, and you know, climb that career ladder, you can do a certain amount, I suppose, in some industries remotely, but nothing can probably replace physically being there. Any other cons? These are big cons, yeah. aren't they? I mean, they're really quite, quite momentous. So you've got to sort of overcome these in order to make it successful. Yeah. And I think that 
I, I talked about making friends. We've touched on that. Obviously, people need to be aware that they have to make more of an effort. I think sometimes when you're living in a city surrounded by lots of people, perhaps lots of like-minded people, it can be very organic the way that you make friends because you sort of gravitate towards similar things. But you can have a, a mix of different people with very different political views or views on a lot of different things all in a very small environment in regional areas. So it might be harder to find your tribe. So that's something that I think people, they they may think about it, but they might not perhaps realise that it is up to you. That much, yeah, yeah. It, is, yeah. it is more of an effort, I think. And I'd imagine that that's a real biggie when it comes to the success of it all. If you feel like you belong and you know, you've got your place, then you're going to be happier. I mean, mm. we're, we're tribal, we're tribal species, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And another thing I thought that I think Chris, you sort of talked about that is getting out can be harder than getting in uh, of the property market. Mm. We're talking about very exceptional circumstances at the moment, but traditionally regional property takes a lot longer to sell. Yep. And it can sit on the market like I've seen places and in lifestyle neighbourhoods pre-COVID that you would think that Sydneysiders or Melbournians would jump at and they just sit on the market for a really long time. Mm. And, you know, that may happen again. There's even a place near where I am that's been on the market for 400 days. So that's <laughs> pretty much pre-COVID until all through COVID and it is opposite a beautiful beach area. Like it's, so is that purely price? I think it is. Mm, <laughs> but it would have to be. <laughs> but still that might be that, that vendor's issue. But <laughs> I think that, yes, I think traditionally um, people coming from the city, if they don't like where they are, can sort of sell and, and, and buy something else and uh, the transaction is a lot faster. And so I think people need to be prepared that even though they might have jumped on a home and bought it within a week, in seven years' time or whenever you might think about moving, it might not be like that it, or even in one year's time, if you've decided that wasn't the right change for you, it could take longer to sell. It's such a relevant point. I remember just filming around the country and, you know, I started off with very much a city mentality. It's like, well, all property has a price at which it will sell quickly, but it's actually not the case at all in, in a lot of regional areas. And so there's just not as many buyers around, full stop, but everyone has that expectation that it will take a lot longer just to find that buyer. You know, we bought a property in Launceston for, for Mary and Jason back in, <laughs> God, I think it was the first series. It was the first series relocation. And, um, you know, that property had sat on the market for three years. You think, God, I might have fancy having a your whole life on hold that long because you can't move on. So, mm. and that is a reality that, that that can happen again. There's no doubt about that. Well, I think it's a great tip. I think anyone who's thinking about buying regionally, uh, one of the first things, you know, don't get too excited because you're very early in your journey and then looking at the properties you do like, seeing what's staying on the market and how long it's been on the market. And, you know, you can very easily find out also the price sales, how long it took to sell and it took 120 days the last three times it sold. Like it's a property that's always going to potentially take a long time to find a buyer. And so you can easily find these things out when you are looking at new areas, what's selling fast, what's not selling fast. Yeah, and perhaps look back further than just the last year or so because I think <laughs> this um, flurry of activity Very is pretty true. abnormal. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you need to see and, – and if you are – I'm. I'm not an economist. I'm not saying people are buying at the height of the market at the moment, but we can definitely see it's on an up, upwards um, tick. tick. Um, and, <laughs> and so you can't be guaranteed that if if you do decide to, I think they're called rechangers now, people that are going back to the city, um, if you become a rechanger um, in a oh, short a- period of time, <laughs> that you might it might take longer than it, it's not a quick fix. Is what I'm saying. No, no, that's I didn't know there was a term for that, but that's fantastic. So I was calling you U Turner, you're uh, a rechanger. Yeah, rechanger. <laughs> I've read recently. Have you? I wish I, I'd like to say I invented it, but <laughs> I did read it. <laughs> so have you got a property Dumbo for us, Kirsten? Ah, um, well, yeah, I think we probably talked about the, a few, <laughs> a few, a few Dumbo. Yeah, just there that last one about sort of bu- buying with FOMO in your heart and then realizing that it's. Um, you know, you can't sell it. But I did um, come across uh, a family who had moved to um, 
uh, Western New South Wales, let's say, um, and they had been living in the inner west of Sydney and just could not afford to buy. They had two small children and they just wanted a home for their kids and they wanted an affordable home and so started, I think they'd worked out how much they could buy for and then started looking in that price bracket. And sort of I think that price and affordability was driving their um, choices more than the location and um, found somewhere, bought, um, and then it all started to fall apart. The kids weren't happy there. The One of the parents in particular just felt it didn't feel whether it was welcome or couldn't find their tribe and it, it just all started to become uncomfortable and regretful um, but they they at least hadn't sold out of Sydney, but they had they let um, affordability be the the sole driver. And I think that's what could risk happening to a lot of people at the moment, especially as city prices escalate the way they are. If people jump ship quickly thinking, oh, I can have a house and a pool and a this and a that, um, and not do their homework around, will I like it? Will my kids like it? Will my future kids like it? Is this a long-term strategy? Or otherwise, if it's just affordability, buy an investment and stay where you are and rent in the city if that's where you feel at home. It's a really good one, Kirsten, because I think we're getting lots of clients at the moment. Um, just over the last couple of weeks, we've had clients who are very frustrated on the home buying journeys, can see the markets moving on them and um, the brain's freaking out and they're saying, look, well, I'm just going to mm-hmm. go and buy an investment. Um, and uh, Or they're willing to make a short-term lifestyle change to ultimately get what they want longer term mm-hmm. from a lifestyle point of view. And I've sort of had to have some, you know, challenging calls, I guess, confronting a little bit for them and sort of because um, a lot of people have the belief is that, you know, the market that they want has gone up and they'll be able to afford it one day um, mm. if they go and put their money elsewhere and, um, you know, so they'll go and buy an investment property and that will miraculously go up, you know, 40 yeah. or 50% and then after costs and stamp duty, then that will give them the money to go and buy and into the market. Yeah, exactly, and, and capital gains tax. Um will then be able to go back into the market that they want and um, we're happy or they'll rent where they are um, and then ultimately they'll be able to buy where they want in five years' time. And it's, you know, it's great to think like that, but I guess it's how in reality you're actually going to make that happen. Um, And I think the renting thing is great short term, but you've got to really be setting yourself up renting long term and really be thinking through, you know, how's that going to work with schooling and how's that going to work with, you know, different types of houses that you need if you need bigger you know, bigger space as you get older and things like that. And, um, yeah, I think people sometimes make that, you know, that shift. They say, well, I can't buy what I want, so I'm just going to go and buy an investment. Then they don't really think through what's the longer-term impact of that decision and, you know, what's the longer-term strategy rather than let's just buy something just so we've got something. This sounds like our boot camp. We're sort of doing it in reverse. But, you know, this is very true because there is so much pressure on on buyers at the moment and, And there is that FOMO that says, well, if I can't afford the place I want to live in, I should buy an investment in order to get into the market. And that is a very valid plan B that I do discuss with our clients. So forget whether you're looking regionally or otherwise. Um, You know, this to say, look, you know, ultimately there has to come a point where you draw a line in the sand and say, right, it's not going to happen for us. Um, We are not going to be able to afford to get what we want, where we want it and within the budget that we've got. And you have to then decide to move location, you know, really drastically adjust your expectations on the property itself or plan B is the investment route. And what I often do is have a conversation with a client and say, right, there has to be a deadline for this because the longer you take, the less chance you're going to get to buy anything of quality. Um, And so there's a point at which we say, right, you know, we now know it's, it's the, the, the window is shut, the door is closed, the horse is bolted, however many ways yeah. you want to say it. You know, now we know that. Now comes the hard decision you need to make it quickly. Um, but it's guiding them through that. But it is, it's a tough market out there, there's no doubt about it, and clearly in regional Australia it's tough too. So you're not, no one's escaping it. Well, and I so think to it's chase- the first time really that, that they've both been tough at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And and so therefore that danger and your Dumbo, as I said, leads us beautifully into our boot camp, which is that that affordability, chasing affordability on its own without considering everything else is super dangerous. And sometimes you're right that the compromise rather than location should be the compromise on the type of property you're going for, you know, mm. and, you know, rather than sort of 
compromising potentially twice, maybe having a nice house, but it's no location you really want to be. Um, and then having to come back and then compromising anyway for the property that you, you want ultimate to get back into something a bit cheaper in the area you wanted to be. Um, maybe you're better off not just making that big lifestyle change, keeping everything else the same, friends, family, networks, you know, work, all those sort of things. And maybe it's, you know, buying a really nice apartment to live in um, yep. or a townhouse. Yeah, maybe your or, kids don't mind if they don't have a backyard. Maybe yeah. you can be located next to a great park or an aquatic centre or something. Yeah, and reframing, just reframing that and, you know, reframing renting. You know, if you are making that decision of investing your money um, long term and not and going to rent, then reframing renting is not a bad thing you know it's you know you don't have to worry about maintenance and yes you're gonna mm. but you say to yourself it's we, we're going to potentially have to move more um and that's okay we're just gonna have to deal with these lifestyle changes and just yeah. be positive around it so it's whatever you do it's just sort of really going um making the right compromise rather than um yeah Egypt. yeah all of a sudden uh, make this lifestyle change and you just knew in your heart i think the guts there's lots of studies that show the guts usually always right so um, yeah, really listen to that. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, look, Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us. I loved your list of pros and cons and it's, you know, I will read more on, on your interviews on this topic and hopefully there's more of more to read. As I said, we're going to put that link to your regret article, which I think is really important for people just to understand and, and take off their rose-coloured glasses, you know, that it, the regional move might work for them, but they do have to understand all these things. And I think this has been a great chat. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kirsten. Thank you. Please join us for our next episode. We're absolutely privileged to have with us the New South Wales Building Commissioner, David Chandler. He is explaining to us not only what's sort of gone wrong in the past with construction of residential apartments in New South Wales, but really identifying where things have to be changed in order to give consumers more confidence and being able to trust in the buildings that they're buying into. It's actually really very interesting very illuminating conversation and for someone who works for government he doesn't shy away from giving his opinion as well so we definitely encourage you to join us if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in sydney's inner west eastern suburbs or north shore my team and i can help you buy without regrets reach out via my website gooddeeds.com.au if you're looking to buy your first home thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey. And most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.